Welcome to this week's episode of Seen and Heard, Industry Updates for the Modern Dairy Family. I'm Darby Toth, a Technical Field Services Representative with Western United Dairies. And I'm Melissa Lima, the North Coast and Organic Field Services Rep with Western United Dairies. Hey, Darby. Hey, it's been quite a rainy week around both of these parts, I think. I think so. It's much needed, maybe not all at once next time, but um, we were just saying like, oh my god it's still January the month is dragging but we are almost to the end of the month um, gearing up for February and um, hopefully a little more spread out precipitation and uh, some snowpack would be good too I guess in the month of February. Yeah we're certainly very thankful for the rain around these parts but like you said maybe not not consecutively all at once I'm sitting looking out my window and I kind of keep expecting to just see a cow float by in front of me. (laughs) Same here. Um, it's a, It's been nice. Yesterday afternoon it cleared off and today has been really beautiful, but we did get um, two inches of rain in 24 hours from um, Wednesday to Thursday. And then preceding that, we'd had about three inches since the prior Friday. So five inches of rain in a week is a lot. I think you guys probably had a little bit less, but boy, the wind was a little crazier for you. Yeah, it was not quite as windy down here in the South Valley, but I know the rest of our staff up in the North Valley a little bit more had trees down, power outages, and it was definitely a little wilder up that way. Absolutely. it's Winter is still here. I guess that's the message, but we were starting to feel a little springish before. So I guess that's a good weather report for today. Um, Another thing we talked about, Darby, is We're kind of sad. We're not getting ready and prepping for farm show this year like we normally would be, but we are going to participate in the virtual farm show. So we're going to be bringing the listeners more information about that in the next week or two. Um, But kind of sad that not to be going. It's my one big trip every winter down to Tulare for a couple days. Yeah, maybe we'll have to have a a happy hour with a beer and a tri-tip sandwich. I think we should do that. We can host and just (laughs) invite invite the producers to join. Exactly. Um, So this week, Darby, we're a little light on content. Uh, We had a really great virtual kitchen table meeting this week. Our economist, Tiffany LaMandola, did a really good market update. Um, As she mentioned, from last week's board meeting to this Thursday, there was quite a lot of movement in the markets. And so she goes through that. um, And then we have a brief producer Q&A at the end. That's about 30 minutes. And so I think Um, For those that couldn't be on the virtual kitchen table meeting this week, it'll be a good uh, update about what's happening in the markets. And then Anya and Devin have a a segment for us at the end of the episode. I am recording with them a little bit later, but yet to know what it's about. I think there's some good news coming and definitely um, they were busy this week. So it's kind of a mystery at this point. (laughs) Well, a little intrigue on a Friday. Never heard anybody. No, definitely not. With that, I guess we'll jump right into the the market update this week. Morning. I hope everybody's staying dry out there. Boy, what a what a wild storm! <laughs> it was uh, much needed, so not complaining. But I guess we're going to get it all in in a, in one week. <laughs> um, I've got a few slides here prepared. We'll just dive in and just as always, you know, feel free to contact me. Otherwise, just pick up the phone. I'm I'm just a phone call away if you want to cover off anything. Um, obviously, Zoom is not as easy. I, I can't see you all and um, tell if you have questions or want more information. So we'll just kind of skim through this. But yeah, feel free to reach out. 
Um, there's a lot of numbers on this first slide here. I don't want to spend a ton of time on, time on it because we're going to talk about each individual kind of market as we go along. I think the purpose of this slide is just to sort of point out that we are starting off 2021 with more kind of crazy volatility in our dairy markets. You know, it, it, that did not end with 2020. Um, so we've seen some pretty, um, um, pretty big moves across all of our markets. And I suspect we're gonna kind of continue to see that in the months ahead here. Um, I would see that the cheese space is really where we've seen the most kind of action. Um, and I'll explain a little bit what I think's been going on there. Um, it, I think it all started, um, uh, boy, I'm losing track of time now, several weeks ago when um, rumors started flying around, you know, food, funding for food aid in the stimulus bill. How much would there be? What kind of programs would we have? And that's kind of where it all started. At that point, it was just rumor bill, right? We didn't have many details. Then we learned that, in fact, a good chunk of money was um, allocated for food aid and kind of a couple different buckets. Um, but we still didn't know, uh, particularly one program, there was $1.5 billion set aside. Um, and that's, again, where the speculation started. You know, will it be another round of food boxes? Will it be something different? Will the old administration carry it out or the new administration will carry it out? And the markets just sort of were trading every day kind of on the rumor of the day, if you will. Then we learned that, in fact, that 1.5 billion would be allocated to food boxes and the cheese market in particular, although the other dairy markets kind of followed along a bit, um, took off. And a lot of it, again, was speculation around, um, you know, how much dairy would be included, how fast they would roll it out. Um, I would say end users got pretty nervous because the um, you know, remembering $3 cheese, it was a very vivid memory um, and something they didn't want to feel again on their, on their books. So we saw a lot of folks come in, start taking coverage. Um, meanwhile, you know, there was all kinds of analysts out there calling for 2 and $3 cheese again, and the markets just got really, really worked up. So I think at one point, February class three futures ran up to almost 1950, like at least 19 and a quarter. We've since come down four or $5 off that. So just to give you an example of just how much extreme movements we've seen in just some of these contracts. Um, I think it's been a real classic, um, what we call buy, buy the rumor, sell the fact. So the first couple of weeks was all about buying the markets on the rumor and the speculation around what would move in these food boxes. And as the facts started kind of rolling out, plus the reality of just how much kind of milk is out there, which we'll touch on, um, we've seen the markets ease back down. So what we do know now is that this fifth round um, is rolling out, but they did it yet again, a little different and decided to roll it out in three waves. So it's not like that $1.5 billion is, you know, coming through the door all at one time, kind of creating this demand rush. Um, they announced the first wave, it was um, $354 million and moving about 11.1 million food boxes. Of those food boxes, we figure it's about a pound of cheese. And then the other pounds, there's a requirement to get up to five or six pounds of dairy products. 
um, what we're hearing is the rest of those products are most likely like class two type products um, that are heavier. So think like sour cream, cottage cheese, yogurt, um, maybe some butter um, in there. There was a lot of push to try to get more butter included in those boxes because quite frankly, the class four space did not get the love from the government programs last year like the cheese space did obviously. Um, the rules were not changed, but I suspect some butter is making its way in there. And we'll talk about some other programs as well. Um, so the rules state that if the first wave goes well, there's going to be two more waves. And um, by all indications, people think each wave will be about the same level of dollars, um, which the market kind of took as disappointing because if you take that 354 million and multiply it by three, it falls short of the total 1.5 billion allocated. So one, it seems like it, maybe not all the dollars will be spent, though we just don't know that yet. Um, and to this three waves of demand means, you know, it's probably not as, you know, it's not going to do as much to kind of put the markets into frenzy as the demand is, you know, kind of rolls in um, softer over the course of time, I guess is one way to say it. Um, now, you know, so we know a little bit more now about the food boxes, the kind of panic and mania around that has calmed down a bit. And now I think people are wondering a little bit about what food aid programs will look like under the new administration. We know there's need for a lot of food aid. We know it'll probably continue. Um, I think last week we got a little insight into what that might look like with when some more food aid was kind of um, suggested um, by the Biden administration. And it all seemed to be focused more on kind of SNAP type programs. So um, I think a shift away from maybe, um, you know, these food box type programs more to increasing funding and SNAP. So Again, yet to be seen, but that was the kind of the first wave we got. The, um, the other thing though that USDA is doing is, um, again, there was several pots of money set aside for food aid. So that was the food boxes. There's also this section 32 funding where they're buying, and this, is, this program's been around a long time. This isn't necessarily anything new, but um, I think they're ramping up uh, purchases a bit. Um, there's quite a bit of dairy that's moving through this program. There has definitely been a few iterations now focused on butter. So I think this is where they're trying to address, um, trying to you know, move a little bit more butter um, than they did last year. Um, on the cheese side of thing, it's not sure because under Section 32, the USDA used to buy a lot for uh, school food service. And so where we've lost quite a bit of that in the last year, because not all the schools are open in session. They can't get as much food out to the kids. Um, so I'm not sure if it's super supportive on the cheese side of thing, because we might just be filling that gap. Um, but butter, I you know, hopefully it's going to help move some of this, you know, excess product that we have hanging over um, the market, particularly if they kind of keep more um, rounds of this rolling. So Keep an eye on that. It will be something we're all kind of watching for. There's also been word on the street that they might even try to do a non-fat dry milk purchase. Um, though not sure kind of what USDA would do with bulk non-fat dry milk. So I don't know if they'll do it by an institized form or, or what, but again, all kind of speculation at this point. 
Um, I think the big thing to realize that, you know, people didn't maybe ponder at first when all these government programs were announced and the markets got all worked up is that we're just in a little different environment today than we were, say, you know, round one or two of the food boxes that sent, you know, cheese spiraling up to $3. Um, one is we're in an environment of still fairly soft food service demand as, you know, one winter weather has not allowed for as much outside eating in regions that allow it. Two, we've had regions, you know, locked down. It looks like we're gonna lighten up a little here in California, but that has not been the case. Um, so food service is still struggling. That's, that's not a surprise to any of you. Um, and cheese exports right now are pretty light because we ran the record high prices last fall. So we have not been competitive in um, winning any much export business. You know, that could change here as we've, the markets have settled down some. Um, that was not the case last April, May, June, when the markets, if you recall, I'm sure you vividly remember when they crashed, we were able to book quite a few exports. And so there was some cheese moving out of the country at the same time as the USDA bids hit and the same time when summer and you know more people were eating outside um, that all kind of one way to think about it is a bunch of people running through the same small door at the same time and it kind of just accelerated the market higher so that's not the case now we're also in an environment with um, a lot more milk which I'll touch on in a minute and we have a new big cheese plant coming online in Michigan. They're up and rolling. They're kind of making better progress than thought. Um, and it's a big one. It's going to be adding a lot of cheese to the marketplace. We did not have that part of the picture last year. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about supply. Um, I was just telling Melissa, we did a board update last week and I thought, oh, I'll just have a few things to update. There's been a lot that's happened actually in just a week. Um, one is that on Monday we got a milk production report for December. I will say it's not, it wasn't necessarily surprising to any, I'm sure not to any of you kind of watching your own dairy output as well as talking to your neighbors. Certainly as we were talking to a lot of producers, we knew there was a lot of milk out there. And in fact, when the numbers hit, they were kind of eye popping up 3.1% in the US, every major milk producing region pumping it out. You know, California alone was up 3.2 and that was on fewer cows. So our, it's, it's, it's a recipe of more cows. So we're up 100,000 head over last year. Those, that's the largest US milking herd since like the mid to late 80s, um, big. Uh, but it doesn't stop there. Our milk per cow is just killing it. It's, you know, it's some of the biggest numbers we've ever seen. So um, both of those are coming together and you know, from what I'm hearing and talking to dairy producers, I don't think this is slowed down in January. And of course, we're not even to spring flush yet. So um, we just we just have a lot of milk in the system. I mean, recall that a three percent increase, even in normal times when you know every demand was is full throttle, would be a lot for the market to absorb. And we're just we're not really even in that situation. Um, just one little barometer we like to watch is um, the spot milk um, <clears throat> indicator out of the Midwest. So this sort of gives us an idea of what plants in the Midwest, particularly cheese plants, would be able to procure spot milk at four. And you can see those prices are super depressed. So, you know, there are plants that can get as much kind of cheap milk as they want. 
um, if they want to run full full throttle, um, it's certainly there. Um, we also on Monday got a cold storage report, and um, I think the butter number, though uh, very hard to look at, <laughs> was also not surprising. I mean, it's why butter prices are so depressed right now, is there are a lot, there have been all gear, con continues to be pretty heavy um, inventories. And I mean, look at that December number, it, you know, it was one of it's the largest um, inventory figure for butter in December, you know, dating back, I, I think, since our, our data shows. So we've got a lot, uh, lot in inventory. Um, probably one of the more even surprising, the more surprising number was um, the increase in our cheese inventories. So what I showed you is what, what typically happens from November to December. So we usually, you know, grow inventories a little bit from no November to December. But you could see this year's growth just, you know, was was almost double um, with the normal growth rate from November November to December was. So we we added a lot of cheese in the into inventory. So we seem to have lots of butter, lots of cheese. I would say on the powder side of the equation, it's a little less um, burdensome. I mean, we have quite a bit of non-fat in inventories, but you can see. Um, our last barometer of November was, you know, not not the largest year on record. Um, it, it seems to be a stock level that the market's kind of absorbing with current demand. So we're sort of staying just real kind of range bound on non-fat. And certainly on dry weight, our inventories are, are not burdensome at all. And that market has kind of, you know, gotten up um, some steam here as of late and is sitting um, pretty solid ground. So. Inventory is mixed, heavy on butter and cheese, not, not quite as much on the powder side of the equation. Um, also not surprising to you has been the run up in the grain markets as of late, certainly something we're watching very closely. Um, you know, we can use lots of different models. I just decided to show you the um, DMC, the dairy margin coverage model, um, because I'm, I'm sure some, some of you have signed up for that. Um, and by all measures, the, the feed costs in that model have gone up about $2 a hundredweight just over the course of the last couple months with this run up in grain prices. Um, and, you know, on paper, that is starting to crimp margins um, some. And I'll show you some more estimates. So, you know, it looks like the DMC program is most likely going to pay out in 2021. Of course, this is changing daily as, as milk and grain prices um, fluctuate. I think one thing we're wondering is, you know, um, just how fast the margin squeeze or the feed equation will matter in terms of trimming milk supply. You know, in normal times, I think we would say, hey, um, you know, it could start impacting milk supply by, you know, sometime by the second half or maybe earlier. Um, but we have some weird things in the mix this year. You know, one was the government dollars, um, you know, payments given to producers last year. Um, and talking to not, not every dairyman for sure, I don't wanna imply this, but there are a subset of folks that were able to defer milk checks last year. And so they've done so for a couple of months into 2021. And also folks, um, again, not everybody, but a subset certainly, you know, those shipping to cheese plants um, worked really hard to pay down, you know, feed lines and prepaid debt. So there's some padding there, I, I would say, for some. 
um, heading into 2021, that might um, slow down kind of that supply response that we would normally see. So something just to keep an eye on. Real quickly on the demand front, um, dairy continues to do stellar at the retail level. I mean, we're really knocking it out of the park there. Um, it's not as robust as sort of like when the pandemic first hit and people were doing kind of the hoarding level buying. Um, but since then we've settled into a really nice range with sort of butter and cheese running at plus 10%, even a little bit more than that uh, month to, uh, sorry, year over year uh, for many of the months. And, um, you know, you can see on the chart on the right, kind of where we ended 2020. So you can see lots of different dairy products did really well. Apparently we were, you know, really enjoying eating ice cream, eating our worries away and <laughs> uh, lots of frozen pizza and um, sour cream did great. Um, yogurt, butter, cheese, you know, all of it really, um, really did well. So this is certainly our bright spot. We expect this will continue, you know, even as hopefully things get better as we move into 2021. People have gotten back to cooking at home and a little bit more comfortable with that. And they certainly know what to do with kind of dairy products, right? That it's, it's very easy to use shredded cheese or make a grilled cheese sandwich or, you know, whatever it is. So I think we're well positioned there. Uh, I already mentioned this. Clearly, we continue to still suffer on the food service side of the equation. I think that's taken a big, big toll on the butterfat space and has not helped with the butter market. Think of all the uh, cream we move through food service, um, just in soups and heavy creams and um, just butter itself. Uh, so I think that has not been helpful. You know, we were doing better over the summer when there was a lot of outside eating and, you know, not maybe not this week, but we can still eat outside in California in the winter. But my my coworkers in Wisconsin seem to suggest that doesn't quite cut it in the Midwest. So I think you know hopefully we get through winter and we'll see a little improvement in these numbers and certainly as people are starting to feel more comfortable to get back out. Um, but for now, it's still not not a bright spot for us. I think the other thing we're watching is just how quickly we can get um, you know the majority of the schools back. Uh, get kids back on campus. Um, uh, according to this survey that we follow, about 55% of the kids came back from the, you know, uh, Christmas and New Year holiday in virtual mode. So by, you know, we've got a long ways to go before they're all back on campus. There seems to be some big pushes that way. Um, personally, I can say from my local school district, you know, we're it seems like we're heading there. Um, I think the schools have tried really hard to still get the food out to the kids and family, but there's just certain regions where, you know, they don't have a ride to school, they just can't get it or the family can't, you know, get by the school every day. So we just haven't been moving as much via the school system, even though, um, you know, folks have been trying, the kids need to actually just be physically there to eat, um, many eat or two meals a day at school. Our exports have been uneven. As I mentioned, we really saw um, heavy volumes of cheese leave back in May and June. That certainly tightened up the market. That has not been the case as we closed out 2020 because our cheese prices just got too high. We weren't competitive. Um, U.S. nonfat dry milk or powder exports have been doing really well. We're up actually 19% year to date. Um, and that is despite our biggest um, customer, Mexico, actually 
behind um, where they would normally be for this time of year. I mean, obviously their economies are reeling um, without travel to, to the region and so forth too. So we've been able to pick up some business and some, some other areas which, which has helped. Um, and hopefully this will continue in earnest um, as we still remain pretty competitive um, for you know, non-fat dried milk. The problem right now too, is that um, our plants are having to run so full that I would imagine it's hard to slow down to make those higher heat or SMP type products to export. Um, you can do a lot of more throughput through a plant um, making just non-fat dry milk. So I think we're up against that challenge right now too. Um, interestingly enough, you would think as you've looked back at the data for cheese that we just had knocked it out of the park as we look at overall domestic cheese consumption last year. Um, real quickly on, on the individual products, I think in the cheese space, um, and butter, it's really about product availability. And with the fact that milk supplies are still, you know, pretty heavy, I, you know, we've got plenty of plenty of product and I think plenty more on the way. So, you know, really anything the government can buy, we'll take. I think we need it to help, you know, soak up some of the excess product we have available. Um, in terms of butter, we're in this weird window now um, through February, into February, where old crop butter can trade in Chicago. So that's butter produced prior to December 1st. So it's not too, too surprising to see a lot of product coming to Chicago right now to kind of clear those older inventories. When the calendar flips to March, that won't be the case. So I'm hopeful we could see a little bit better situation um, in the butter space once we, once we get, get past that, uh, uh, that period there. Um, and then I think it's all about kind of what happens with consumer, um, you know, demand as we roll into 2021. I mean, your guess is as good as mine. I'm, I'm hopeful that we're going to just get a little bit better at every month as we move along and people will get back to, I don't know what normal really is anymore, but something a little bit more pre-COVID type levels. Um, eating out, maybe even traveling um, as the vaccines make their way through and reduce the risk for those that feel like they have it. Um, putter and whey, we think are on pretty solid um, ground. I, at this point, you know, non-fat's been a little volatile. We're kind of up and down, but we suspect we'll kind of trade in a fairly narrow range here. We don't really see a lot of reason for a major run higher. We don't really see a, any reason for a major collapse at this point. We do have a lot of product being made, but demand seems to be holding up enough for now. So hopefully that will hold. And, and same with whey, um, very similar situation. Um, one thing to keep in mind that you probably have started to hear about, may even hear about more, is we still are, um, our exporters are still coming across quite a bit of um, logistics issues, just getting product out of the country and across the ocean. Um, so we've heard of that being kind of an issue that particularly weighs on um, our powder markets because we do export quite a bit. So I don't think it's all cleared out, you know, those, some of those supply um, uh, logistics that we've heard of last spring are kind of still lingering um, out there. Um, to finish off, I wanted to show you um, where DMC estimates currently are. I mean, these estimates are going to change every day with the market. So what drives the DMC payments are determined obviously by milk 
prices and, and grain prices. So we'll have to see how that plays out. Um, but when I pulled the numbers the other day, right now, it looks like 2021 average payments will, uh, payments will average about $1.30 weight. Some months are bigger, some months are lower. Um, so that'd be about $64,000 um, if you sign up for that 5 million pounds a year. Um, but stay tuned. We'll try to keep running estimates of this um, in the update uh, as time goes along. Um, obviously, we won't really know the final numbers until, until those months have passed. Uh, but that's where we sit right now. That, and that would have been if you signed up at the highest 950 um, level on 5 million pounds of milk. Um, wanted to show you kind of where the futures markets were sitting relative to history. Um, certainly a week ago, these numbers looked even better. We, we have seen um, the, this is uh, looking out six months at the class three futures price right now. So we had kind of a nice rally up into early January. We have lost a little bit of steam here um, the last week. Um, but interestingly enough, if, um, hopefully you can see my cursor here, but the fiber average is in the, is in the blue circles. Um, you can see that for some months, our futures levels right now are still uh, um, above historical averages. So you know, I would argue there are still some decent things to do from a risk management perspective if you're interested. So I just kind of keep bringing this up, but um, if I can help you in any way understand the tools that are available out there um, to help manage your milk price risk. Um, also, if you're worried about both milk and grains, um, recall there's that LGM dairy program that's been around a really long time. It can be a little bit more confusing, but um, again, we can kind of help you through that if, if you're interested. And from a class four perspective, for those of you that have class four exposure, um, the first few months of the year, um, we've lost a lot of steam there. So not looking too good relative to history. Um, but as we look further out into 2021, the current futures levels there are looking pretty, pretty darn good relative to history. So wanted to remind you that you can, you know, just buy milk price floors through the DRP program and that leaves all the upside open for you. Um, but can kind of help you capitalize on the fact that there's still some decent things. Um, the futures curve still has what we like to call the slope of hope <laughs> uh, built in. In other words, it, you know, price levels go up the further out you look right now. That changes every day, but um, keep that in mind. And um, yeah, don't hesitate to ask any questions or reach out. I don't know if anybody has any at the moment. Okay. Yeah, I have a question. Uh this is Richard Bermuda. Um, do, do you see, uh, do you have any uh, information as whether, with the new administration, whether there's any possibility of uh, of uh, some kind of this, with too much milk, is there any talk of uh, some kind of a supply management uh, discussion? Yeah, I have not, um, I have not picked up anything via, you know, government programs. Um, one thing, and I should thank you for asking, I, I should have mentioned it when we were talking about milk supply kind of prospects looking forward. You know, recall last spring, you know, when all this nightmare kind of hit, there were quite a few um, co-ops or manufacturers that had to implement supply control measures. Um, and, and they did so, and it, you know, it did help pump the brakes, if you will, on milk supply. Um, many of those are still, in you know up and running um 
so there is a potential we'll see some more. I, I think it'll be at the end of, I guess, long, long answer short. I think if we see anything along those lines, it will probably be at the individual co-op or manufacturer level would be my guess. I have, you know, I haven't heard of anything in the works from um, USDA point of point of view. Um, but I think there are quite a few programs, one already kind of waiting, either already happening in a few instances, waiting in the wings to happen, or I think others are probably discussing it. Um, the problem though, is I don't think they're widespread and I don't think it's everybody. Um, you know, there's gonna be some big co-ops and manufacturers out there that I don't, I don't think you'll see um, implement those measures, but it could come into play as we head into spring break, in, into spring break, <laughs> spring flush. Well, so. you said, you said that supply control measures are up and running, but if they're up and running, how come we have such an increase in milk production? Yeah, I think it, they're just, they're just hit and miss, right? It's like this little co-op in the Northeast and it's that little manufacturer up there, you know, it's not a widespread, um, it's not the big, right? Like at least the best of my knowledge, right? Like think about co-ops here in California. I don't, I don't think some of the larger ones are doing anything at this point. So I think there are, there are programs, but it's not nationwide. I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm saying it doesn't sound to me like they're up and running if uh, we can't control any kind of production. Yeah, I like I said, I don't think it's widespread. I think it's, it's just a couple, it's just a couple programs here and there. So yeah, I agree with you. And, and I don't know if, you know, what the penalties are, if it's enough, you know, to disincentivize folks from slowing down. I mean, we, we sort of have to go through the list of each program and talk about, you know, what they're doing and how people are responding. So I think we could start hearing more of it. I just, I agree with you. I don't know if it's enough to uh, totally slow down the momentum. I think if they had wanted to be super effective, they would have needed to announce these, you know, last summer. Um, people have really, the momentum is going, right? The cows are there. People have been feeding uh, for higher components. And as you know, you don't just, you know, can't flip a switch and turn that off. So what's I did. Projections for prices over the next six months. Um, so we've the markets have come down already here. Um, we our forecasts are pretty close to where the futures are. We're a little bit lower, I think, in the class three space. I think there could be some more downside there. Um, again, as that new cheese plant ramps up. And you know we obviously have growing supplies there, so I would be you know in favor of having some downside protection if you don't, um, and then hope that we're wrong and you know the economy kind of gets going back here faster. Um, it's a beautiful thing about exploring some tools that are just floors, right? Because then you you sort of just hope you're wrong. Class four is already pretty, pretty darn low. I, I don't know that we need to go any lower on butter. You know, we might have another 
rough month here till we clear some of that excess. Um, and I think powder is going to be fairly steady where we're at. And what about the PPDs? What's going to happen with those? Well, if the cheese price comes, you know, comes down more or stays low, that, um, you know, the negative PPDs are really driven a lot by the big, you know, we had a huge diversion or huge gap between class three and class four values. Um, if class three comes down closer to class four, that will help alleviate those some. Um, I can't, I mean, I, I don't know if we'll still see as much widespread depooling or not. I, you know, it's hard for me to know what each plant, how they make those individual decisions, but clearly with class three that much higher than class four, you know, your negative PPDs were driven by that difference between the two prices and then the widespread class three depooling. So I would imagine they would, would not be as dramatic as we head into 2021. Thank you so much, Tiffany, for joining us today. And we're, we've recorded this, as I mentioned, so it will be on the podcast for folks to share with their neighbors and, and family members. And we really appreciate your time today, Tiffany. It was good information. Thank you. Hi, I'm Jessica with PG&E. 811 is a free service to keep our community safe. Before you do any digging, PG&E will mark your gas and electric lines so you don't hit them. Call 811 before you dig. To learn more, visit pge.com safety. Well, thanks again, Tiffany, for that great market update. We really appreciate you joining us for a kitchen table meeting this week. And now we're going to hop over to Anya and Devin, who are joining us with an update from Sacramento. Well, as promised in the beginning of the episode, we are joined by Devin Gioletti, Western United Dairies Board President, and Anya Radabaugh, our CEO. Anya and Devin are here today to visit with us a little bit about an exciting and interesting opportunity that they and Western United Dairies had this week. Welcome you two to the show. Thank you. Hi. Hi, Devin. Um, if you guys wouldn't mind sharing what you were able to do this week, and we'll kind of jump into what that means for our members. Sure. Um, the last five years, Western United Dairies has had a very productive relationship with Governor Gavin Newsom here in California. And last Friday, um, our board and, and our members were given an opportunity to have their voices heard at a very separate table that Governor Newsom set for uh, just the California Cattlemen's and Western United Dairies. As we had the conversation, we laid out a few priorities, but the governor is um, he's having a bit of a rough year. And generally, we wanted to make sure that we were partners with him and we wanted to remind him that, you know, we're here to try to help him affect change, particularly for certainty that our farmers need so much of to do business in California. And that we wanted to remind him that we're part of his leadership team that has supported him since 2017. So there's a lot of initiatives that he's uh, certainly occupied with right now, including vaccinations. Uh, the COVID has really dominated the airwaves, but uh, we wanted to really get some of our board members in front of him to talk to him from their perspective as businessmen in California, uh, how things look and, and what our members' priorities are, at least as they're coming through. Definitely. Well, it's not every day um, anybody gets on the phone call with the governor. So congratulations on that. It's um, definitely new 
territory for Western over the last few years to be this involved at the state level. And um, Devin, you've been on our board for some time now. I'm just wondering from a dairyman's perspective and a board member's perspective, um, how do you feel about that working relationship that we've established with Governor Newsom? And do you feel like that is going to help our policies be reflected in his policies this coming year? Yeah, I mean, this is a, a great opportunity. It's definitely uh, been productive. And I don't ever remember a time in the past hearing, you know, about a one-on-one -on -one, um, phone call, or in this instance, it was a Zoom, uh, Zoom call with, uh, with, a, with a sitting governor before. So it's, it's been great that he gave us an hour of his time. And um, it, was, it was only eight of us on that, on that Zoom call. And um, it was just great one-on-one -on -one time for sure. Awesome. And, and it sounds like you guys talked about a lot of different policy issues, both from the dairy front and from the, the beef industry front. Can you talk a little bit about what policies that we have discussed at our board level that we're working with the governor to implement this year? Yeah, we decided to uh, try to focus in on just two issues. Um, one being very, 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 very important, uh, water certainty. Uh, we talked about the uh, voluntary settlement agreements with the unimpaired flows, uh, Sigma, um, you know, how, how us California farmers, we need water certainty. Mm -hmm. And um, it's, it's very important that we be given you know, water to, to grow our crops so we don't have to import uh, feed from the Midwest. How um, we have a great source of organic fertilizer right next to these, uh, right next to the dairy. And uh, if we have enough water, we can grow some great crops for our, for our cows. So we started with that big one. And then um, we were brought up a smaller issue, but still important. And that's the lack of rendering capacity in the state. Um, of course, it's great to talk to the governor about dead cows, but uh, it's, it's important. And uh, we uh, brought up that there's only about three major renderers left that'll accept dairy cows. And uh, one based in Sacramento is gonna be closing next year. Okay. So every year, you know, we have uh, emergencies of when the supply of mortalities outstrips the capacity to process them. So we talked about our, uh, the best solution we can come up with that's the most sustainable uh, for everybody and that's to, to, to compost these mortalities on our farms and then be able to use that compost as a organic source of fertilizer for our cropland. And um, he was very respectful to that. He's probably, never, he's probably never even talked about rendering before. So, um, you know, what, one thing he did say was, hey, compost, man, you're speaking my language. So he, uh, he definitely, <laughs> he definitely <laughs> heard our message. I mean, um, having a Zoom call with eight people, <clears throat> you really get his attention. And um, it was a very productive conversation. Definitely. I think compost is such a buzzword these days, but we just have so much science behind how valuable it is that we can, you know, talk about whether it's our manure or the rendering of our cows, we can talk about how much compost is a positive climate issue. And I think that really does speak the language of folks up in Sacramento. So that's really great that you, you guys were able to discuss that. The important thing about that rendering um, issue is that it can be solved through some changes in regulation. So we don't need new legislation to do this. Um, basically, we just need help from CDFA and uh, Cal Recycle. And sure. if they can just change a couple uh, regulations, 
um, we can be on, you know, we can uh, start composting our mortality. So it's, it's an issue that can easily be fixed uh, quickly, hopefully before the summer. Awesome. That's not very often that things move quickly in Sacramento. So it's good to be able to have the ear of someone who can help implement those changes um, in a quick fashion. Government doesn't always work quickly. And this is becoming an emergency problem. Even I got a lot of calls last summer about the composting issue. So glad to be moving forward on that. Or the, I guess, the mortality issue, not composting yet. Yeah. <laughs> I think that uh, as the as the board really considered what could be done. And, and we, we know the governor has got a lot on his plate. We wanted to focus on something that was extremely singular for just the dairy issue and elevate that within his capacity. And because this is predominantly a regulatory problem, we figured that it would be an easy thing to have him prioritize his folks' attention on. And, and I think that working with CDFA, they're very thankful that we prioritized it. Uh, sadly, rendering has been an issue that has been just completely stonewalled for one issue or the other and it's because it's such a fun topic a sexy topic uh it's it's really been put on the back burner for far too long and most people i'm relatively new to the dairy industry but uh, most people that i worked with paul susan included have said that this has been just a decades-long problem and it's finally bubbling over because the capacity has has shrunk down so much and I know our North Valley guys are, are sweating bullets in particular with the announcement of Sacramento rendering shutting down soon. But uh, yeah, Devin and Frank Mendonca were the other gentlemen on the phone, uh, did a wonderful job. And I think that the, the governor was legitimately shocked uh, hearing the conversation about rendering. He, he had some awkward laughs um, and uh, you know forgot his rendering policy paper at home, he said. But uh, being part of the leadership team that supported Newsom early has been, um, I think, really advantageous in this moment in particular, yeah. um, being able to, to chat with him as friends, as supporters. Um, we want to really include him in our process and our partnership to get these kinds of certainties, frankly, during the need in this state to keep doing business. Absolutely. Um, he has been a, a great partner so far. And you're right, there is a lot on the governor's plate these days. So the fact that he is taking time to really listen to our industry and what we need and, and again, making it a partnership. So while we provide, you know, obviously a very nutritious food product to the consumers of California in a time when adequate nutrition is of utmost importance. And so I think just really emphasizing that part of the partnership is really important. So I think uh, moving forward, we, you know, we kept the tone pretty light with this initial meeting, um, particularly on these, these in-depth policy issues, but um, ensuring that our members have reliability and certainty on their cost of production has never been more at the forefront of how Western United Dairy's board sees things. And so making sure that these things are a priority for our regulators coming directly from the governor, um, he really wants, I think he wants to solve this uh, mm -hmm. with us. And so we're, we're very thankful for that. But um, it means that we have to be with him on solving some other issues. And so he is very much of the mindset, particularly on the water certainty front that Devin mentioned, um, that everybody needs to give something. And he subscribes to that theory I know that we have challenges in the Valley. There's been a lot of negotiated settlements over water for decades now that have left agriculture um, 
reeling from the effects of additional regulatory droughts. And that's something I think he's sensitive to, but moving forward on this grand compromise, not just for ag, but for the environment, for municipalities, uh, he seems to really be excited that right now, as of today, the politics are in his favor. Uh, the politics, particularly at the national level, have shifted. And so he feels, at least he communicated to us last week, that he was very comfortable uh, reasserting himself in that space and asking his, uh, his folks that have really been crafting the VSAs to get back on it and to start up anew. Good, good. Well, lots of good news. We kind of promised a little bit of a surprise to our listeners at the beginning of the episode. And I think this is a, a really pleasant surprise with everything that's going on in the world, just to know that we're, we're working through the appropriate channels and engaging with the people that can help make a difference and ease some of the stress on our producers right now. There's not a lot we can do in a lot of areas, but this is an area that we can focus on and make some positive change for sure. We'll keep updating you guys if we have more updates. And um, I'm very proud of the way Devin and Frank facilitated the industry's needs to the governor last week. Well, I think it's great. We'll have you guys back in the next couple of months as we learn more. And um, just a little plug for Anya. Um, I'm sure Devin will be there as well, but we are gonna be talking a little bit more about Sacramento and what Sacramento thinks of our industry next week on our virtual kitchen table meeting. And we're gonna plug that again at the end of the episode, but. Make sure to check it out. We'll be sending out the information for that webinar. And I think that really um, dovetails nicely with the conversation we just had and how we make our case to the folks that are making the rules for us. So thanks both of you for joining us today. And we look forward to learning more about the crazy world of Sacramento. <laughs> thanks, Melissa. Yeah, thank you. Yosemite Farm Credit is the farmer's choice for agriculture financing. As a farmer-owned cooperative, we are dedicated to serving our neighbors in the agriculture community with financial products and services tailored to your operation and backed with the relationship you can trust. Whether you're purchasing real estate, making improvements to the dairy, or wanting to purchase or lease equipment, we're here to help our members prosper. Visit our website at yosemitefarmcredit.com to find a branch location nearest you. Today, before we close and as we wrap up the episode, we want to remind WED members that our election nomination period is open until next Thursday. That's Thursday, February 4th. We have received a number of nominations and more info will be in our update this week. But as a quick reminder, we wanted to share a list of the open positions and encourage producers to email us or the office with nominations for these positions from their districts. The positions are open. District 1 and District 2 has one board seat. The incumbent is running and one alternate delegate. District, District 3 has one board seat and one alternate delegate. District 4 has one board seat. The incumbent is running and an alternate delegate. District 5 has one delegate and one alternate delegate. District seat is one board seat. The incumbent is running one delegate and one alternate. District 7 is one board seat, one delegate, and one alternate. District 8, one board seat, a term over, two delegates, and one alternate. District 9 has one alternate delegate. District 10 has one alternate delegate. District 11 and 12 have one board seat and one alternate delegate. 
If you have any questions about these positions or you need to double check what district you're in, you can also reach out to Melissa or I. Yeah, and if you just wanna send your nominations to either Darby or I or the office, we will get those to Norma. And um, besides elections and uh, nomination period ending this week, we do have a virtual kitchen table meeting as well on Thursday. I'm really excited for this topic, Darby. Um, we're gonna feature Anya Radabaugh and our Director of Legislative Affairs, Jason Bryan, along with WUD members that sit on the California Cattle Council. And they're gonna talk a little bit about the results of a huge research project and survey that CCC did in Sacramento at the end of 2020. Um, Cattle Council had a webinar about this, but we're just kind of bringing it in a little bit more condensed version um, and more of like a roundtable style discussion to our members in the virtual kitchen table meeting. but. From what I can tell, we learned a ton from the interviewing folks that are creating and enforcing regulations. And so the team's going to go through a lot of that. I'm really excited for this virtual kitchen table meeting next week. Yeah, this is a really fascinating bit of information. So I'm really looking forward to hearing everybody dive into it. Definitely. And then with that being said, we do have some great virtual kitchen table meetings on tap for this winter and spring. But as always, if you have a topic that you'd like covered, please don't hesitate to reach out to us at info at wudairies.com or email any of our staff. A huge thank you to Tiffany, Devin, and Anya for joining us for today's episode. And thank you to all our listeners and our members. Remember to reach out to us with questions, comments, and content requests at wud.pod at gmail.com. Melissa is M-L-E-M-A at wudairies.com. And I'm Darby, D-A-R-B-Y at wudairies.com. And as always, remember to rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite platform. Have a great week. While West United Dairies respects the varied views of our podcast guests, Please know that views expressed on Seen and Heard may not necessarily reflect the positions of the Western United Dairies Board of Directors. Thank you to Western United Dairies generous 2020 business sponsors, Gar Bennett, California Dairy Magazine, Farm Credit Alliance, FNR Ag Services, Moss Energy Works, Bennett Environmental, PG&E, and Yosemite Farm Credit. We appreciate our sponsors and thank them for their continued support. If you'd like more information on how to sponsor Western United Dairies or this podcast, please send us an email at info at wudairies.com. That's info at wudairies.com.